Luke chapter 14. I'm not going to reread our prayer as we pick up together in verse 7. Jesus is still at the home of the Pharisee. We saw last week that he had been invited to a get-together on the Sabbath. And just like many of us had an opportunity to go to Grandma's house on Sunday afternoon for lunch, uh, back in this day and time, they would oftentimes get together to have a feast, uh, to uh, enjoy a great meal together in a time of fellowship after worship and the Sabbath as they enjoyed this day of rest together. And the Pharisee, this Pharisee, a leader among the Pharisees, had invited Jesus to his home. Uh, They had done so with an agenda. Uh, They wanted to put a sick person before him and see uh, see Jesus heal the man so they could accuse him of working on the Sabbath, that they might in some way destroy him and even find a reason to kill him. That's what they had in mind. Uh, just to give you a little background, if you missed last Sunday, that's the, that's the background of the story. And Jesus healed this man who had the dropsy. And that means he had some kind of kidney or heart ailment, uh, which had caused swelling of the extremities, the arms and legs. Jesus looked at this poor man. He was suffering greatly, and he healed him. Uh, isn't that a wonderful story? Jesus healed him. And in doing so, he put to shame those who were setting him up. He had asked them, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath, and he countered that, or, or followed that up rather, with uh, the the uh, the idea and bringing to their mind the idea that they themselves do necessary work on the Sabbath. Uh, if their cow falls into a, a ditch or their son falls into a well, they immediately go to pull them out. And he asked, "Is it okay to heal and help someone on the Sabbath?" And he put them to shame. He embarrassed them, and so that's. The setting of our story today as we pick up in verse 7. These fellows had been embarrassed and silenced. And there was likely an awkward silence at this point in the room. As they had been embarrassed and exposed. Their heart had been exposed. Their plan really had been exposed. Jesus had put them to shame. And uh, in the midst of this awkward silence, they were uh, jockeying for position. Uh, And there was an opportunity here that Jesus uses to teach two great truths in the middle of what they were doing, jockeying for position for the place of honor. And we're going to get to what that means in just a moment, place of honor in the seating arrangement uh, for this great feast. Jesus uses the opportunity of their jockeying for position and this awkward silence to teach two very important truths which apply to all of our lives, one on the subject of humility and the other on the subject of hospitality. Uh, you may say, well, humility and hospitality, how is that going to really affect my life? How is that, what is that going to mean for me on Monday morning? And I just want to stop you before you go down that line of thinking. It can make a tremendous impact upon your life if you have a proper understanding of humility and the opportunity to demonstrate hospitality in your life. You see, godly humility, Now, I'm not talking about a, a self a basement or a false humility, but a genuine godly humility, a righteous humility is a powerful part of a godly life. It opens doors. It opens the windows of heaven. It allows for the power of God to come and be demonstrated in your life in ways that cannot happen if it's lacking. A a righteous humility, if that's found in you, you Put yourself into a place, into a position to be greatly used of God in ways that you cannot imagine. Your life becomes something just 
completely transcendent. I mean, otherworldly, literally, if you have a righteous kind of humility in your life as a part of who you are. So a genuine understanding of humility is important for us because there is a great life of potential for the man or woman who understands what it means to be humble according to Scripture's definition. And likewise, hospitality is a powerful and oftentimes undervalued opportunity to demonstrate Christ and bring Jesus into your day-to-day life. Uh, If you're wondering how you might demonstrate Jesus, how you might be Jesus to the world around you, uh, you're going to see in this teaching Jesus gives us on hospitality that we have great opportunities we overlook all the time. Great opportunities to love and serve people all the time around us, all the time that we miss out on. Jesus shows us what it means to be hospitable in the true sense of the word, in the most powerful sense that we might be so. So he teaches on humility and he teaches on hospitality. So we take humility first. See, Jesus looked around him in the room and he saw these fellows jockeying, jockeying, if that's a word. They were, they were, they were trying to sit at the place of honor, the places of honor. And there were places in the plural. See, to really understand what was going on in this story, we have to understand that the seating arrangement for meals like this in that time were at tables called a triclinium. How many people know what a triclinium is? <laughs> I didn't know what a triclinium was until I was researching this, and, and, I, and I saw this. A triclinium is a table that seats three people. And so there would be several tables, many tables, according to the number of people who were invited to the feast, that would seat three each. And the seat in the middle of each table was the place of honor. And the closer you were to the head table, the, the, the more uh, or the uh, greater honor for you and the greater uh, honor it was to sit at a table that was closer to the head of the table. So they were trying to get as close to the head table as they could, and they were all trying to sit in the middle seat of each table. That's what was going on, this kind of chaos in the room there. It was very obvious what they were doing. Jesus looked around and saw this in the midst of this awkward silence after the miracle of the healing of the man with dropsy. He looks around and sees all these fellows who are fighting to sit in the center of each table and to sit as close to the head table as possible. Very obvious what was going on. And so he uses this moment to teach them about humility. And we see in verse 8, he makes it very clear that we are not to seek honor for ourselves. We're not to be a self-promoter or someone who seeks to honor himself. That's, in a nutshell, what Jesus is teaching here. Do not be a self-promoter. Do not seek honor for yourself. Now, we need to understand, it may seem to be self-evident, but let me mention it here. Honor is not something really and truly to be achieved. It is something to be received. Now, that may fly in the face of what you have thought prior or previous on this subject, but we all would like to live an honorable life. And in some sense, that is an achievement, you might argue. But just go with me with this for just a minute. It really is not something to be achieved in that you're a self-promoter trying to grab hold of honor in the places of honor uh, in your life. It is something to be received, and it's received on the basis of your character and on the actions that that character produces. If you are an honorable person, that is, you know Christ and you live an honorable kind of life, you have an honorable kind of character, Christ will produce in and through you honorable activity. And that honorable activity will be seen by those around you, and you will be given honor as a result of who you are 
and what you're doing. It's not something to be achieved in the sense that you're to grab hold of it and fight for it and seek the places of honor and positions of honor. Honor is humbly received. And it's done so with the idea that there are others around us who may be more deserving of the honor we ourselves are being given. That's a truly honorable, humble person. If you're going to receive honor in a correct sense, you're going to be a godly man or woman who lives a godly kind of life, who as a result of that is recognized for that, is recognized. And as you're recognized, you will receive it humbly, knowing that there are others who are more deserving around you. So that is a godly kind of humility. What does that mean? What, where, where are we going with all of this? Well, walk with me for just a minute, okay? Jesus says, don't seek honor. Don't, don't fight for honor. Don't be a self-promoter. And when you are honored, receive it with humility. Humility in and of itself is a character trait of a truly honorable person, a Christ-like person. It is the ability to consider others, or just consider ourselves rather, in light of Christ and our life in light of the bigger picture of His kingdom. Andrew Murray once said, humility is the displacement of self by the enthronement of God. It's not walking around and saying, I'm a worm. Yeah, you've seen those people. They walk around with this false humility. I'm just a worm. I'm a sorry person. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Well, okay. I want to be around you, right? You're, you're the guy I want to be my friend, the guy who's always walking around saying I'm nothing. And then we've been around people who have a genuine sense of humility. And a genuine sense of humility is the understanding of who I am or some sense of understanding of who I am in light of who God is. And so I can say, you know, I'm nothing apart from Christ, but in Christ, I'm a child of God. In Christ, I am an heir of the kingdom. In Christ, I am made holy and righteous. In Christ, I am forgiven. Christ has done all of these things for me. In Christ, I have great hope both for now and for the future. You see where the difference is? See, a, a real sense of humility is not that I'm a worm, I'm, I'm a sorry person, and I'm worthless. No. It means I find my worth in Christ, not in self. It's an understanding of who I am and what Christ has done for me and who that makes me now. That's a true, genuine sense of what righteous and godly humility is. Jesus is encouraging us here to have that type, that kind of humility, to look rightly upon ourselves in light of who Christ is. Is. And when we are truly humble in that sense, we place ourselves in position that we might glorify God. I want you to think with me a minute on this. What might Christ do with a life like that? A Christ, what, what, what might Christ do with a life, a person who recognizes that everything they have and everything they are, are is in light of who Christ is and what he's done for them? See, in that moment, as I said a moment ago, you place yourself in a position to be used of God in a way that you could never otherwise know. Your life becomes something transcendent, something bigger than self. Because God now has an opportunity to make you a trophy of His grace and His life and of His power. You see, in that moment that you recognize who you are apart from Christ and who you are now in Christ... Once you have a right understanding of that and you are genuinely humble according to Scripture's definition, you have placed yourself in a, in a position where you might honor God and your life might be a trophy of grace. Your life might be a demonstration of what He can do in a life given to Him. 
because he is no longer fighting you for the glory, so to speak. You're no longer fighting him for the glory. You know, folks come up to me and they say, well, that was a great sermon. And, you know, I appreciate that. Don't stop doing that. If God touches you, I like hearing that. That's encouraging. But you will hear this. And I'm not telling you this for some sense of building myself up. I'm telling you this as an encouragement to you. I hope you know this. And I hope you know what the first words out of my mouth will be when you tell me that. I say, I praise God for that. And I'll tell you, thank you. But I'll tell you, now, why would I do that? Sometimes I've thought, you know, people are going to think I'm weird because that's what I say. And you know why I say that? Because I never want to take the credit for it. Because anything I have and any gift I have is from Him. The ability to preach is from Him. Believe me, I sincerely do not look at my life. Kim will testify to this and say, I deserve to be here. I I, I don't. Believe me. God has given me whatever gifts He's given me and given me whatever position I have and given me whatever gifts I have, and given me these opportunities, and I am thankful for them. I am so thankful. I am so thankful. But it is from God. It is from God. He is the one to give glory to. You know, I had a pastor tell me one time, an evangelist, he's my father in the ministry, he's long since gone to be with Christ. And he told me, he said, there are three things going to get you in trouble in ministry, or can get you in trouble in ministry. He said, one is women. Nothing against women. He said, you just better make sure that you have a proper relationship with all the women in your life and not do anything silly. And you know what I mean by that. He said, the other thing's going to be money. He said, that's what gets a lot of preachers in trouble, a lot of ministers in trouble. And he said, you better make sure you're not a lover of money and you always do right with your money. You know, the bankers will say that you never lend money to anyone who works in a possession that, in a profession that begins with the letter P, Right. Painters, preachers, and plumbers. You don't loan money to them, right? I don't know about the painters and plumbers. If you're a painter or plumber, I'm sorry. I'm lumping myself in with you. I don't know why we get the bad rap. But unfortunately, there are a lot of of pastors who've not done well with money and get in trouble because of money. And the other one was pride. He said, pride will get you in trouble. And this is what he told me. He said, James, and of course, I had preached, you know, maybe a half dozen sermons in my life when he's telling me this, so he had nothing to base this on. But he said, James, people are going to come up to you and they're going to tell you, you're going to be the next Billy Graham. You're so great. You're so this. You're so that. That's just because they love you. may or may not be that you can do anything, really, or are anything, but people are going to love you. But he said, he said people are going to come up. I added that little part. But he said, people are going to come up and they're going to say that. And he said, when they say that, he said, you just need to do one thing. Just ignore it and praise God for it and don't believe it. He said, you start believing it, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to get in trouble, start thinking you're something, that you've arrived. Everybody's lucky to have you. So you're not going to do anything. You see, Ed, you don't have to be a pastor for this to happen to you. See, folks come to you and they start talking about just how godly a life you live, how wonderful you are, how great Sunday school teacher you are, what a wonderful deacon you are, how great you do this, how great you do that, how much of a servant you are, and how much you love people and how kind you are and all these things. And, you know, we just take that in and we feel so good and it's great. And when we do that, we take glory to ourselves and we rob God of glory for our life. We set aside a proper sense of what humility is. And in the end, we rob ourselves of a great opportunity to live a transcendent kind of life in the power of God, demonstrating His grace and becoming a trophy of His grace, making much of Him. Mm, It's terrible, isn't it? It's a great loss. But you know, if you can do that, see, that this is the thing, this is a challenge to say, you know, I, I know that, that I am here only by God's grace. 
If we can say, I know the gifts I have are from God. If we can say, this is all the Lord. This is God's doing, and we are thankful for it. And we say, Lord, thank you so much for what you're doing in my life. We tell others, God has done wonderful things for me, and I praise God for what he's done. I give him the glory for what he's done. I give him the glory for what he's called me to do. He's called me to be. If we can do that, we become a trophy of his grace. We become a demonstration of his power. We become a walking testimony of our Lord in the existence and the reality of God. That's what a proper sense of humility is. What Jesus is saying to us here, he says, listen, don't try to exalt yourself. Just be humble. And he uses this little story here. He says, go take the low seat. Go take the, the, the seat of humility at the feast. He said, have that kind of thought of self. I, I, you know, in myself, who I am, this is where I, I deserve to be. We all deserve to be there. He says, and then once you take that place and you have a proper sense of humility about yourself, he says, the master, now who do you think the real master is? The master is going to come and say, you come on up here and you sit up here in the place of honor. And see, when that happens, all of a sudden everybody looks at you and they, 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 they make much of you. But in the process of them making much of you, you in turn have an opportunity to make much of him. So you turn it back. You say, it's not me, it's him. You know, oftentimes at the end of the service, I'll, I'll pray God's blessings over us. And then I pray, Lord, and help us to turn the blessings back to you in praise. Because, you see, we recognize where they come from, right? Any good thing that happens to us, we recognize as a gift from God above. And so we turn that back to him in praise. And our life should be turned back to him in praise. So that he might get glory. So he might get praise. So that he might get honor from our life. I read a story recently about Samuel Morse. He's the fellow who invented the Morse code, and the fellow that ended, invented the telegraph, actually. And Samuel Morse was asked if he ever encountered situations where he didn't know what to do. Now, this oftentimes happens, I would imagine, of folks who are brilliant people, right? Uh, you'll go to Albert Einstein and say, hey, Al, did you ever time you don't know something? Because you seem to know more than everybody around you. And so I would imagine if you're a brilliant person, I don't personally have this happen to me. I don't know about you, where you have people come to you and say, you ever not know something? <laughs> people just assume there's a lot I don't know. But there's, see, that, that, that may not be the case for some of you. Like Jerry. Jerry's never been. Have you, you've been asked this question often, haven't you? Is there anything you don't know, Jerry? Anything you don't know? You know? The brilliant people among us have these kinds of questions. So, Samuel Morse has asked this question. He says, is there ever a time when you don't know what to do? And Morse responded with this. He said, more than once. Well, that's, that's good to recognize. And I think it's just, uh, you know, he was just kind of making light or funny of the guy's question, maybe. But he says, more than once. And whenever I could not see my way clearly, I knelt down and prayed to God for light and understanding. Morse received many honors from his invention of the telegraph, but felt undeserving. Now, see, there's that sense of humility here. And you see in this next statement a righteous humility demonstrated in this man's life. He felt undeserving, not because he's a worm, no, not because of some false sense of humility. He says this, I have made a valuable application of electricity not because I was superior to other men, but solely because God, who meant it for mankind, must reveal it to someone and he was pleased to reveal it to me. Do you see? Whoa, that's good stuff. You know what? If he had taken the glory for himself, 
no one would be talking about him on Sunday morning in the year 2015, right? He would not be an encouragement to us to follow Christ more faithfully. Though he's dead, he now yet speaks, right? The testimony of his life is preaching today to us to encourage us to humble ourselves and follow Christ and allow our lives to give glory to him. Isn't that something? You see, an absolute practical demonstration right now of this great point Jesus makes to us in the scriptures. Our life speaks. And the second thing Jesus talks about here is hospitality. I just want to quickly go through this. Hospitality really means to love and serve others with no expectation of anything in return. To do so with no respect to person. That's what Christian hospitality is. To love and to serve others with no thought of what we might receive in return and with no thought or respect to who they are or their position. Genuine Christian hospitality. It flies in the face of the secular worldly way of looking things because everything has to come with strings attached, right? No one does anything for anybody without expecting something in return, right? That's the way the world looks at simple kindness. Why are you doing this? What do you want from me? No one does this for nothing. How are you trying to take me or get the better of me? That's, that's how the mind works. See, what Jesus is teaching us here is that when we serve, when we love folks with no thought of what we receive in return, what, what's happening in that moment is we are demonstrating Christ. You know, Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. What, what, what could we give him in return? What can we now give him in return for what he's done for us? Absolutely nothing. We just offer him ourselves. What kind of prize am I? Why would God come and die on a cross for me? It's a mystery. It's an absolute mystery. Why would he die for, even if we put all of our lives together and say, why would God come and die on earth for all of us? It's a mystery, isn't it? Because even collectively, our value is nothing in comparison to him. Whatever we might give back to him by comparison is absolutely nothing. We can't even begin to qualify or measure what we have to give to him over and against what he's given to us. See, Jesus has demonstrated the greatest of hospitality to us, so to speak, and that he has loved us and served us through his cross. And when we love and serve others who can give us nothing in return, what we're doing is being a little Jesus. We are being truly in that moment a Christian to the world around us. We are giving them a picture of Christ. We're just loving them because we choose to love our Christ and because our Christ and us, we together choose to love them. Christ teaches us to love. Love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love our neighbor as ourselves. And in hospitality, we have a very practical way of demonstrating this. In the ancient East, it was expected that you would demonstrate hospitality by having someone into your home who was a traveler. This is one of the greatest ways or the greatest way it was demonstrated in that day and time. They had no holiday inns, so somebody was traveling, you would 
be expected to take them into your home, give them a place to rest and sleep, give something to their animals and provide meals for them until they left and went on their way. That was a demonstration of hospitality. That generally doesn't happen for us today, right? I mean, there's probably not been at least many times in your life that you've had some stranger come to your door and say, traveling through, need a place to stay. Could you help me? And if they did, you might be a little put off by that, right? And say, I don't know about that, right? It's not our culture, not our way of doing things. It's not the way we think about things. I'm not saying you shouldn't help them in that moment. All right? You're just probably not going to have that kind of opportunity. So how do we demonstrate hospitality? Well, the first thing that comes to our minds, well, we'll have somebody over and give them a meal. Some of our friends, people we know, right? Uh, and we've come to define what it means to be hospitable in that we are kind and we show people a good time within our home. We're a good host. Great, and that's good. But I think there's something more Jesus is teaching us here. He's teaching us a general principle of service, sacrificial love and service to others with no thought of what we might get in return. And in doing so, we demonstrate Christ in our life. I think one of the great examples I've seen, uh, I've seen lately of this is in the movie we all went to see, War Room. Many of you went. Some of you did not. There's a scene in the movie where this fellow sees a former boss on the side of the road with a flat tire. And this fellow had not treated, treated him very well at all. This boss had not really treated him very well, not been very kind to him. But he gets out of the car, goes over and changes the man's tire. No words are spoken between the two. After the tire is changed, he holds out his hand, shakes his hand, goes back into the car where his family was and drives on his way hospitality. Love and service to someone, rendered to someone with no thought of what you might receive in return and with no respect to person. That is a demonstration of Christ to the world around us. Humility and hospitality. These are not often considered desirable traits in a culture built upon self-promotion, pride, and self-centeredness. But it's how Christ has called us to live. And Jesus makes very clear to us here that when we do, there will come a day when we are greatly rewarded. He says, then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. When you extend hospitality, you can know you may not and you should not expect to be rewarded now, but you can know a reward is coming. And I want to close today with just a couple of thoughts on this verse. So I think it's fun to think about. It's interesting. And it's something that we need, I believe, to be often reminded of. Put it to you that way. You know, we get caught up in the here and now. I mean, what are you going to do the rest of the day today? Lon says, I'm going to take a nap. Right? Jeremy says, I'm going to watch a lot of football. I'm teasing Jeremy. Jeremy's not watching any football at all. Not a football guy. Mike may say, today's a good day to play golf. Carl may say, I will watch some football today. I might say, I'm going to watch a little baseball this afternoon. Some of the rest of you guys have other plans with family and friends. We're very focused on the here and now, right? And it's easy to do that. You know, that's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing to have fun. It's not a bad thing to take in a game. It's not a bad thing to spend time with friends. It's not a bad thing to play golf, Mike. It's not a bad thing at all to enjoy some of these things that we have here on earth to do. 
But you know what happens is, is that we get caught up in those things, and then tomorrow what are you going to do? We're going to get up and go to work. First thing we're going to do is have a cup of coffee, right? I mean, some of us, that's the first thing we're going to do is have a cup of coffee. Then we're going to go to work. And we have a million things to do tomorrow. And in the course of the million things we have to do every day of our life and all of the fun things we have to do in between those things, we get very caught up in what's going on in the here and now. And sometimes, oftentimes I would say, we lose sight that this is a very temporary situation that we're living in. And that soon it will be over. And the opportunity to glorify God here and to live for Him and serve Him here will soon be past us. And everything that we do here for Christ is going to last for eternity. And there's going to be a great reward for someday. And someday we're going to skip out of this place and go to be in that place. And that place is real. And that place is heaven. And we're going to be there with God. And we're going to be there with all of our other brothers and sisters in Christ who are there waiting for us. The great cloud of witnesses. We're going to go there someday. We're going to be there someday. We're going to exist there someday. This is but for a moment. And we lose sight of that oftentimes. What Jesus You'll see throughout his life as we walk through the book of Luke, he is periodically reminding folks there's going to come a day when you'll be rewarded. There's going to be a reward. And throughout his life, we see just occasionally he'll stop and say, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And where I go, I'm going to come back. I'm going to get you. I'm going to take you to myself. So I'm, I'm preparing a place for you somewhere, somewhere out there. I often tell folks who have a hard time believing in the existence of an afterlife, I say, you exist now, right? And I've told you guys this before. I've mentioned this. I said, you exist now. How amazing is it that you exist now? How incredible. You did absolutely nothing to make yourself or to create yourself or to cause yourself to come into existence. Yet here you are. So how absurd would it be for me to stand here and say, I can exist here and now, having nothing to do with my existence, but I'll never exist again somewhere else. Of course, there is the natural possibility of that because I exist now. And not only that, there's the probability of that. And in fact, as a Christian, I would say there's assurance of that because I have a God who exists and who has told me so and said he's gone somewhere to prepare a place for me so that when I get there, I have a place to go into. I have a home. So in light of all of this stuff, I think sometimes we ought to just stop and consider, yeah, there are sacrifices to be made. There's work to be done. Sometimes we have to love the unlovable people, right? Sometimes we we make sacrifices and give up things for other people. Sometimes it's very hard to be humble and not just in Texas. And other times it's hard to be hospitable, right, to folks. And sometimes we need to just stop and think all of the sacrifices and all of the things are nothing in comparison to all that awaits me there. You see, someday you'll stop breathing here. And when that happens, your spirit's going to leave your body. Scripture says, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, that in a moment, I mean in a moment, close your eyes here, you open your eyes there. In a moment, you're gone here and you open your eyes there. To be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. And so you're going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. You're going to be there. And when you get there, it's going to be beyond your comprehension, beyond your imagination. Just the mere presence of our Savior face-to-face is going to be overwhelming beyond anything you could ever comprehend on earth. It will go beyond any goodness you've experienced, beyond any exhilaration you have ever felt, beyond any bliss you have enjoyed here. That first moment in heaven is going to surpass all of that, so much so that you cannot quantify or measure how good it will be. Just that presence of our Savior. And beyond that, and if you could even 
say this. I mean, it really is absurd to even consider it because it all pales in comparison to the presence of our God. He has said that he prepared a place for us. He is preparing a place for us. So he has created all of this wonder, this mystery, this beauty for us to enjoy because he loves us so much. We say, Lord, I just need to be in your presence. That's enough for me, right? We say, Lord, just let me be here at your feet for eternity because it's so overwhelming. I don't want to leave. He says, hey, I want you here in my presence. You're always in my presence, but I love you so much. I have created a place for you. I want you to come over here. So Jesus walks us in and he says, look at all of this that I made for you because I love you so much. And we say, oh, Lord, Lord, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. He says, of course you don't deserve it. I just love you so much. And then he comes over and says, hey, James, remember the time that you were humble? You showed hospitality. You made much of me. I have a reward for you. I have been waiting for eternity to give this to you. And so he walks me into this room and he says, all of this is the reward given you for what you did for me and with me on the earth there. And I say, Lord, I don't deserve this. Lord, this is too much. There's no way I deserve it. He said, I don't. It's not about what you deserve, James. It never has been. Isn't that wonderful to consider? You know what? Some of you are sitting there this morning. You're thinking about somebody, aren't you? That's already there. You're saying, "Woof, whoa, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing to consider? We are here, but for a moment. It's all we know, and we hold on to it tightly because of that. Oftentimes, we hold on to it. But the more we know our Jesus, the more we know our Christ, we loosen our grip, don't we? You see, a hundred years from now, there won't be a single person in this room still drawing breath into their nose and into their lungs. We're all going to be somewhere else. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord of your life, you can be assured that the picture I have painted for you this morning of what eternity is, is yours to enjoy. It is. But if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior from your sin, if you do not believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins, if you've not entrusted yourself to him and believed that and given your life to him, it's not yours to enjoy. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Who was he speaking to? To his disciples. And unless you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, there is no such promise for yourself. This morning, if you're not certain you know God and you have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ, you need to understand the Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us in this room understand this fact. All of us who know Jesus at some point or another have said, I am a sinner. A sinner is any thought, word, or deed that is contrary or against God's will for our life. And we have all recognized that. I have recognized that. And I recognize I still sin. And it grieves my heart. But the Bible says if we realize that we are a sinner and we admit that and ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins and believe that he died on the cross to pay for our sins because he's a just God. Sin must be paid for. There must be a payment for sin. Jesus died on the cross as that payment for our sin. If you will believe it, trust in it, and give your life to him. If you've not done that this morning... Please do that. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. And we want to be your brother and sister in Christ. And we want to rejoice with you 
when we all open our eyes there because get this, we're all going to die and we're all going to leave this place. We're all going somewhere else. And we want you to be in that place that I've described this morning that you might enjoy that with us because, you know, the fellowship never ends for those who are in Christ. Never ends. And in the midst of all that bliss and all that goodness and all that undeserved reward, undeserved reward that we're to enjoy, in the midst of all of that, we're going to have a great celebration there. We're going to have fun there. We're going to enjoy it together there. We're going to come together as a family and we're going to have coffee because there is coffee in heaven, Rinda. There is. I believe it. And I'm hoping in the place Christ prepared for me, there is a heavenly coffee pot with heavenly coffee beans and heavenly coffee. Right? There's so much there to enjoy. So much there to enjoy. But the most wonderful thing to enjoy, the most wonderful, most blessed thing of all, will just be knowing and seeing our Lord. Just seeing our Christ. If you do not know Jesus Christ, please today let us help you know in your heart that you have a relationship with Him before you leave. And if you know Jesus this morning, I encourage you and challenge you with this. Make sure when you leave here today that you've done so with a proper commitment and a prayer that God would do this in you, that you would be humble, see who you are, see who He is, and walk accordingly and be willing to show hospitality, love, and serve regardless of person so that you might demonstrate Christ. That you might walk out of here saying, Lord, make me a trophy of Your grace. Make much of Yourself in me in this brief time that I'm here so that others might know you as well and might enter into that bliss in heaven with us someday. Let's bow together.